During my three years of being a teacher in Zambia, Africa, I had experiences of seeing Jesus free people in, in way, in through prayer in ways I couldn't understand. I worked in a boarding school, about 1,300 local kids. It was called Choma Secondary. Zambia is sort of down in the southern part of Africa, and, and Zam, uh, Choma is in the south part of Zambia. Um, it was a previously Christian school, now local school, so it had a bit of a Christian element to it. So as teachers, we tried to support the kids in some of the spiritual life as well as all the academic and physical stuff as well. So in one particular instance, um, I was called with another teacher and down to the dorms. You'll see some pictures of our students there. Um, students like this, living in the dorms. I was called down with my friend Alex, another Zambian, to pray for a girl who is uh, reportedly having some spiritual distress. So I was told that she was being harassed by an evil spirit possibly due to some of the traditional rituals linked to um, blessing of babies, which is a common practice in their local culture. So I, I was led to a room where this girl was agitated, pacing, speaking aggressively, and in speaking in her local language, I was told she's saying things like, you, you can't have her, she's mine, she's been mine for too long. Uh, I didn't know what to do. So my friend Alex begins praying. I begin praying, trying to pray in the name of Jesus. And to be honest, I couldn't comprehend her difficulty. I, growing up in Canada, I just didn't have experience with this kind of uh, issue. And I wasn't even sure what I believed about spiritual uh, oppression or, or possession. So at one point in the prayer process, I, I went off to the side and I just sort of was praying earnestly to the Lord in Jesus' name, really begging her to heal this girl. And then soon after, to my surprise, she sort of came to relief and was relieved. And, you know, I, I didn't know how it happened, but there she was. She, she was in her right mind and she was relieved. And I was relieved that it was done. <laughs> so I wonder, what goes through your mind when you hear me tell a story like that? Uh, what are your questions about the presence of evil spirits in their role in afflicting people's lives? So uh, that day I encountered a student struggling with something I had no categories for. But in Zambia, among those Christians, they had instincts to pray for people afflicted in this way. And uh, I then had many more encounters like that. And I found out that Jesus does really heal, and particularly he can heal in, in these situations where there's spiritual powers. So as you've heard today, we, we are continuing on in our series called uh, Encounters with Jesus. And um, we're going to talk today about how Jesus can break the power of evil in people's lives, evil of all kinds. So as we get going, we can be honest that probably as we read stories like this or hear stories like I told, we probably uh, are uncomfortable, maybe find it a bit scary uh, and probably unrelatable. I won't take a show of hands, but that's how I was feeling as, we, as I was preparing this message. And we, we, we might want to just sort of write them off don't know, let's write it off. Because I think we who live in the modern West with a, a sort of a scientific enlightenment uh, worldview, we tend to resist uh, the, this thinking of the transcendent. And particularly, we resist the, 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 that there would be an evil realm or a Satan or demons. We might want to leave that to, to Halloween or, or to scary movies where people really like watching a lot of that. So however, in Mark 5, 
we are invited to maybe reconsider, maybe hopefully find our way in to what's happening in this passage and, and think about the various types of darkness we face. So we're going to dive into our passage and let me read it, the first part, to you. It says this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is a really intense opening. It's, it's, it's sort of a really horrible scene. Um, so Ryan and I were talking about it, and we weren't sure what to think. And I, I said, well, I wonder if we could find some artwork. So he plugged this into AI, and this was what the AI gave us, a little artwork about the scene. <laughs> so Mark's gospel uh, was originally written for a group of struggling, suffering Christians in Rome, and they needed encouragement. Mark reads like a kind of travel journal for those early disciples, uh, what they experienced, and we often see gritty stories of Jesus meeting people in their real needs. And I think it's written, definitely written, for a way for us to encounter Jesus and wonder about our story as well. So this story is going to invite us to ask a couple key questions. For example, who is Jesus really? You know, maybe have we, have we conce conceived of Jesus in the right size or in the right well? Who is Jesus really? And can I trust him with my stuff, even the worst, darkest, heaviest stuff I'm going through? So the story I just began reading opens at night. Jesus and his 12 followers land on a, on a beach in unfamiliar territory. They'd just been teaching and healing on the other side of this Sea of Galilee. And at Jesus' request, they get in a boat after that long day and set out for the other side of this lake. But on the way, they've had a, a terrifying journey. There was a storm that came up, and these seasoned fishermen are fearing for their lives. And yet Jesus somehow calms the storm with a word. You might have heard that story before. So here they are on the shore of the other side, but it's not by accident. They're there on purpose. You see, Jesus knew there was a man there in a community, and this man needed help. So there they are, shaken from the journey. It's night, and they're on a hillside with caves and tombs, and it's probably very creepy. Suddenly then, out from the tombs runs a naked man, screaming and coming down the hill at them, afflicted by an unclean spirit. And it goes then to describe his horrible life, chained up, hand and foot, but he could somehow break chains, crying out, howling, cutting himself with stones. He could not live near his own family and friends, and in this community as well, he lives near them, but relegated, away from them. You know, in fact, it says the surrounding community, they were the ones who would come up and try to chain him. So his is truly a horrible life, a demonized life, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. And so again, a scary story. But my question is, can we find our own way into this story? Let's keep reading. When he, the man, saw Jesus from a distance, 
he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. So let's notice a couple things. Let's notice this first, this man's approach to Jesus. He runs and he falls at the feet of Jesus. This actually kind of desperate approach is a very common one in the Gospel of Mark, whether it's the father of a dying girl or the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. They come in their desperation and they fall at Jesus' feet. That's how their healing journey begins, of falling down. So then we wonder, well, what would Jesus' approach be to this, this posture and these people? Well, he seems to do a couple things. He, he speaks words of life to this man, and he asks penetrating questions. So first, it's recorded that he had said, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus is brief and, and commanding, and he can sort of drive to the point of what we're facing even if that thing has got him in this sort of death grip. And then he follows with a, a penetrating question. And, and the scripture reads this. Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. So in that response, in those questions, Jesus goes right to the issue that the man is facing. No more hiding. No more trying to control the man like the town had done, but rather Jesus is exposing, naming, calling out what has, given, what has trapped the man. Legion is, is the name given. That's strange. But in the Bible, names are important. So let's dive in and see maybe what that could have meant. So again, Mark's first readers, they live in Rome. Legion, that, that's, the, that's a military term. That's the name given to a group of five or 6,000 soldiers. And so they, they know what it's like to live under the, the marching boots and the pointy spears of a legion. So to them and to us as we're reading, that, that the name legion could at least designate the size of the horrible force inside of this man, five, 6,000 demons. And yet they are terrified of Jesus, this, this one man. I was helped by an author named Jody Hopper. I think there's a slide for this. And she tries to break down this concept for her audience. And it's, it could, this could be a helpful illustration if you have kids or young people in your life. I think there's a picture coming right away. So she compares the power of Satan and his kingdom to ants and semi-trucks. So you may know, look at this little ant. Ants can lift up to 50 times their weight. So ants are very strong. But if an ant or even a swarm of ants meets a semi-truck, there's no contest, right? Squish every time. So that helped me understand, and that could help us understand the strength of that kingdom versus the strength that Jesus is bringing. There's really no contest, and that is good news. Let's continue reading. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, set us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. So he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and were drowned. So again, what, what we see here is Jesus is fully engaged 
with the tormented man. And he's able to speak directly to the, their issue, this legion, this issue, and he's fully in charge. I think, and this is, this is a good point, because I think sometimes we mistakenly think that in our world, if, if there's evil, it's like a tug of war, sort of this equal and opposite good and evil. And the Bible throughout just says that's just not true. And, and we see that here. Jesus always has the upper hand of authority when it comes to whatever binds us as his children. So for this reason, we can't know these particular demons request to enter the pigs rather than being cast out and Jesus seems to just grant the request, and we don't know why. But I like what the African Bible commentary says about this scene. They write this. These evil spirits seem to have specialized in wreaking havoc. And when Jesus granted their request, they succeed in doing to the pigs what they had nearly done to the man. So for whatever reason Jesus does it, his high priority is on the freedom of this one man. And that's where our Bible text ends. So we keep reading. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So our story ends with, with a man whose life had been totally destroyed by these evil forces and excluded from that community, totally restored. I love this image, sitting clothed and in his right mind. He's a picture of peace, calm, and order where there had been torment, chaos, and disorder. This man is a picture of what the early church would later, later write in Corinthians when they said this, anyone who believes in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I love that verse. So I asked you earlier, I'll ask again, where can we find ourselves in this story, in, in this seemingly outlandish story, in this man's situation? Where do we see ourselves? Are we like the 12 disciples? They're the silent bystanders in the story. We don't hear from them. Maybe they're uncertain. Maybe we are uncertain how we can ask Jesus address any darkness we face. Uncomfortable to even come close to our own or other people's darkness that is faced. Or are we, are we like the townspeople, uh, troubled, bewildered, afraid of Jesus, begging perhaps Jesus, leave our area. So for these people, let's assume that maybe one of the reasons they, they do this uh, is that their herd of 2,000 pigs was destroyed. That, that's their economy. That's their food source. I did a little bit of a quick Google search on, on pig prices and pork products. And 2,000 pigs, that would equal about $2.3 million worth of product in today's dollar and so they're afraid. They want Jesus to leave the region because you see healing is often disruptive. And so as I think of that type of disruption, I just think of our, our community, our city, and I just want to ask us to think about whose healing would, if they were healed in a big way, whose healing would disrupt us? Is it the poor, the newcomer, the vulnerable in our city that can't have housing? And what if, what, if, what if taxes or things were changed so that they could all have housing, but that would 
cost us and our value maybe massively, how would we feel about that kind of disruption? So we have to, I think this one thing this passage invites is what cost is too high? Is it our money or maybe it's our time? Maybe we are happy to, to let others do the work. We've heard of some great work going on in tenth in many areas. But will we pay the cost? Will we, will we give our valuable times? It's always about us investing and us being called to sacrifice with Jesus in our community. So that's the townspeople. Or, or lastly, maybe we can relate to the man. Can we relate to him in any, in any way and put ourselves maybe in the shoes of his desperate falling down search before Jesus? Not perhaps maybe because we can relate to, to the demonic depression, but we can ask, how are we stuck? How are we maybe helpless to fix a situation that we're facing? So I've been helped by a couple of authors who helped me think of sort of the scope of the, the type of evil we face, and it's, it's described in Ephesians 2, verse 1, very well. So I'll just read this verse for you. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us uh, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So there we are. There's three things in, in, in the Bible that describes the, the range of evil, the type of forces. So I just want to take, uh, you know, there, yes, there is the spiritual. They talk about the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So that is definitely there in, in the biblical thinking, and we have to wrap our minds around it. But there's these two other things. There's, there's the ways of the world, these sort of cultural and, and social patterns that can be restrictive, and they can literally be against God's ways. They can become our normal, though, and yet they can trap us in ways that are not God's ways. So that is one of the things. And then thirdly, it mentions the cravings of our flesh. So in no sense is this trying to condemn having desires in our body, because that, that's actually been a mistaken overreach by the Christian church in, in years gone past, is that, you know, you have desires and all desire is bad, and that is not what is being said here. But instead, it's a warning about being ruled by those desires, letting those desires become amplified in a way that become oppressive, addictive, out of control, where our good desires no longer behave and follow the good God. So we do really well not to diminish the various types of evil which are oppressing us. Uh, at this point, let me just sort of pause for a moment, and if, because of the, the type of text and the weight of it, I think it's actually really important to address mental health. And it's important to say that in this discussion of evil forces, uh, history right up today is full of tragic examples where, where people with mental health symptoms were suggested, uh, subjected to viewpoints and even treatments that treated their mental health condition as a spiritual one. So our first course of action when we or our others we would know or would see things or hear voices is to see a doctor because there are a variety of conditions that can lead to such symptoms and our brains, our bodies are fragile in many ways. So I just, I just wanted to sort of put that out there as something that's important to consider. So again, we, we come back with that but range of things, those three things, the, the, the flesh, the devil, and the culture. And we, we wonder, where are we in the story? 
where are we stuck and perhaps could become unstuck even today? And so the, the first step in that always involves acknowledging, and that can be a really hard part. Because the, the things we could acknowledge could be few. They could be seemingly mundane things. They could be our, our career, like how, how we're driven to overwork, consciously, uh, constantly sort of anxious about our performance. We could be the struggles in, in raising our kids, the struggles in, in living in our family, the struggle in our marriage that's teetering. There could be other things, other powerful forces inside of us that we struggle with, maybe intrusive thoughts, traumatic memories, debilitating fears, even addictions. Um, addictions to, to substances that run rampant in our city. It's so common and devastating. There's the, there's the misuse of sexuality, whether it's promiscuous relationships or, or abusive sexuality that perhaps has even been done to us. Pornography is another one on this painful list, affecting men, women, and young people. Age 11 is apparently the average age of first exposure, as I read in a study. And then lastly, maybe there's social factors that trap us and bind us, forces in our family that would seek to silence us in our pain, uh, avoiding the shame that wants to just keep that darkness down so we, we don't have to face us. Uh, forces that stigmatize us, forces that sometimes even protect a perpetrator. So there's this wide range, and it's a bit of a, it can be a dark list, something to think about, but I, I want to sort of turn and again face Jesus and say, what, what's his path to freedom for us? Just a quick story of, of one of my own experiences. It was um, 2018, coming to the end of the year, uh, leading up to Christmas, and um, as I look back now, I can just really admit I was stressed, I was anxious. Uh, my wife, Clianza, who's working today, was in the, right in the middle of her nursing training. So family life was busy, which made parenting busy, which just made everything a little chaotic. She was having difficult experiences with her instructors and, and just really the program, she was really struggling. So I remember, uh, and I was as well, I was in a period of my work where I had some uncertainty about the future. And so I just remember feeling I, I couldn't bring myself to buy gifts. I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but that, that was a, a sign of stuckness for me. I think I just felt sad. And looking back, I, I think I was mildly depressed. So someone I'd met in my church community, in my previous church, I found out he did something called spiritual direction something I'd not uh, experienced. So he was kind enough to meet me for a first meeting at a Tim Hortons nearby. And so in that first meeting, I just remember there was a, just a sort of gush of relief by sort of opening my mouth and speaking about the, some of the things that were making me sad or, or just admitting, like, why, why can't I buy Christmas presents? It just felt good to begin coming to Jesus through the help of someone that helped you know, light a candle and hold my, my, my grief to the Lord. Uh, so I, I continue to meet with this person four years later, and I would just say that this kind of deep soul work, it takes effort, and I know I'm still in process, and I, I just really always commend that to others. Enter your process wherever you are. Get, get into that, that realm where maybe it's people can help you as you come to the feet of Jesus. So to offer you hope in your own struggle, I want to notice a couple things. The first thing is how this story we read, how it started. We see that in this story, it starts by Jesus. It starts by Jesus intentionally 
coming to land on the shore with this man was. It's as if he's attracted to our pain. He always seeks and knocks at our door. He comes to where we are. So that's how the story of healing begins. And this story, how it ends, is we see a man who was once afflicted and terrorized, relieved, clothed, in his right mind. It's just a beautiful picture. I love that, that chaotic beginning and that that peaceful ending. That is where Jesus wants to point us. There's an extended ending to the story that we didn't read. Just to summarize, in verse 18, the man begs to go with Jesus. You, You can see why he'd want to get out of there, right? Go with Jesus. But in fact, Jesus says, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man, he did go home, and he is likely restored to community life. Two chapters later in Mark 7, we read that when Jesus and his followers came back to that same region, crowds of people came. Crowds of people were bringing their sick, because probably through this one man, they'd heard that there's a man who can touch and heal anything you can throw at him. So crowds come. So I love that. In, in, there's this principle that as we would seek healing, maybe in our family, maybe we're the first one. Maybe we seek healing. And that can allow the healing of many others, those close to us and even those far off as we tell our story. In the, again, the letter of Ephesians, which I read from earlier, uh, summarizes this well, and I want to read it from verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So rather than us individually in our loneliness just trying to avoid sin, cover sin, as if Christian life was just some sin management program, we're counseled in these verses to find out what pleases the Lord. That sounds life-giving and fun to me. I don't know about you. But when we encourage to expose the deeds of darkness, we drag them into the light, and it's Jesus who does what only Jesus can. And there's this joy. There's joy when we move towards freedom. One of the pathways particularly to the, to the Christian journey of freedom is baptism. Many of you have been baptized. Some of you may not have been baptized. Any time of year is a great time. Any time we can baptize folks. But Easter is a particularly great time in the history of the church, and I've enjoyed doing baptisms at Easter. So if that interests any of you or people you know, talk to Ryan, talk to myself. We'd love to help you take this step, which pleases the Lord. So as we end, as we get towards the end, we're talking about all this freedom, and it it could sound like it's instant or or easy, but it's really good to acknowledge it's not. It's not easy. It's going to be part of our lifelong journey. The Bible uses the words like wrestling to capture what it's like to move towards freedom like this. It's, It's hard work. So if you are seeking freedom or you desire to seek freedom, just know that it could Uh, involve frequent confession, repentance, frequent turning back again and again, even in ways and in areas that you're just tired. You're tired of bringing that to Jesus again. So we fix in our minds what happened to this man sitting clothed and in his right mind. And I guess I, I finish and I ask you, is that what you want this morning? 
life to the full is what this picture is. And again, it's in Jesus' own words where he says, it's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Those many things I mentioned, they, they are want to steal, kill, and destroy joy in your life. But it's Jesus to say, come to me. I have the key. I will lead you to the full life you want. So we're going to end in prayer in a moment. I'm gonna, we're going to pray all together. Uh, and, and after communion and during the last song, if you want to pray with someone, I'll, I'll actually be offering prayer on the side. You could pray with one another in the, in the seats and even after in this afternoon or in your life group. But I really advise and, and encourage, let's seek Jesus. So as we pray, let me just invite us to open our hands uh, in a posture of receiving. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. Jesus, as we've sat in this story this morning through vivid imagination and through words of scripture, maybe we've come to see and and grapple again with what's got us stuck. So Lord, as we hold that in our hands, that thing that has got us stuck, I just pray that we imagine you coming to the shore of our life, calling that out, acknowledging it, unlocking it, unchaining us, helping us be clothed and in our right minds. So I just pray for each person gathered here, whatever it is, no matter how seemingly powerful it is, they just would know, we would know how exceedingly powerful you are and how exceedingly powerful is the blood of Jesus, blood on the cross, is for our healing and our freedom. May that be so, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.